Chapter Seven of Wise and Otherwise. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Wise and Otherwise by Pansy. Chapter Seven. For all this I considered in my heart even to declare all this, that the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hand of God. Mr. Sales joined the family group in the back parlor as they lingered in various stages of busy idleness, awaiting the sound of the dinner bell. Dell had only been among them three days, yet had dropped naturally into the ways of the household, and by the master of the house been taken as heartily into his list of friends as though their friendship had been of years' growth. His usually bright face was clouded with care, or anxiety, or both. His wife noted the shadow, and after a vain effort to dispel it with many words, at last made inquiry. "'Jerome, what is the trouble? You look as though the affairs of the nation rested on your shoulders.' "'The affairs of the mill do,' he answered, smiling, "'and a derangement of machinery there affects a small portion of the nation unpleasantly.' "'Is anything wrong?' "'Yes,' he said, the shadow resting heavily. "'I have had trouble with my foreman again.' and have been obliged to give him a final dismissal, and besides feeling very sorry for him, it is a place exceedingly difficult to fill. "'Is Kramer your foreman?' Mr. Tresevant asked. "'Yes, and a good faithful fellow, if he would let liquor alone. What a curse that thing is! How shall we fight it, Mr. Tresevant?' Perhaps that gentleman would have answered less stiffly than he did, if there had not been a pair of very bright eyes suddenly fixed on him from Dell's corner." As it was, his voice sounded cold and indifferent. The gospel is fighting it, Mr. Sales. I know of no better weapon. Yes, Mr. Sales said, sighing heavily, however. But the trouble is, Kramer, for instance, steers clear of the gospel and everything else that would be likely to benefit him. I confess that I am at my wit's ends. I held on to him as long as I could, on account of his family. Well, Miss Dell, what a sympathetic face. It is the embodiment of sunshine. Are you particularly charmed with the poor fellow's fate? I'm charmed with the mill and my own brilliant ideas, Dell said eagerly. Is it a paper mill? Yes, a large one, and at present almost entirely under my control, and a precious charge I find it. And this man of whom you speak, he is, what, what does he have to know? He is, or was, foreman of the works, and understood the machinery pretty thoroughly, and the sort of work that ought to be produced. Then, Mr. Sales, I have just the man for you. I am absolutely delighted to hear it. Will you have him at the mill at six o'clock tomorrow morning? Hardly, Dell said, since he was several miles away. But really, I think he would suit you, and he is very much in need of a situation. I should be so glad if you could help him. Is he a personal friend, Miss Bronson? questioned Mrs. Tresevant, with the disagreeable inflection to her voice. Yes, he is, Dell said, with flushing face while Mr. Sales crossed to her side, saying as he did so, I should certainly be very glad if he could help me. Begin at the beginning, please, and tell me all that you know of him. Well, sir, he is a young man, twenty-three or four, I should think, has been brought up almost from his babyhood in the paper mill at Lewiston. I have heard the superintendent of that mill say that he understood the works better than any man in the mill, and he has recently been promoted several times. He was made assistant foreman last year, and but for the interference of one man would have been foreman. What did you say his name was? His name, said Dell, her cheeks aglow, and seeming compelled just then to look over at Mr. Tresevant, his name is James Forbes. 
whereupon Mr. Tresevant laughed, and Mrs. Tresevant burst forth volubly, Why, Miss Bronson, you surely cannot be serious in recommending that fellow to Mr. Sales for a foreman. He is the most ignorant booby I ever saw, positively a rough. Now one needs some of the elements of a gentleman for a foreman. Isn't it so, Mr. Sales? Well, said Mr. Sales good-humoredly, kid gloves and broadcloth are not exactly essentials. While Dell asked composedly, When did you last see the person in question, Mrs. Tresevant? I? Oh, I very seldom saw him. I'm not sure that I have had a glimpse of him since he made that funny speech in temperance meeting. You remember? Certainly, of all the queer murdering of the English language that I ever heard, I think that excelled. Is he a temperance man? Mr. Sales interrupted quickly, and Dell answered promptly, Yes, sir, he is, a very earnest, faithful one. Mrs. Tresevant, that meeting you speak of was held rather more than three years ago. A great many changes can occur in that length of time. My dear, said Mr. Tresevant, you must remember that Miss Bronson probably knows more about the boy than we do. Yes, to be sure, Mrs. Tresevant said, with a disagreeable laugh. I was not intimately acquainted with him. But, Miss Dell, said Mr. Sales, what good will this young man do me if he is in such high favor at the Lewiston Mills? He is not in favor now, sir. He has been discharged. Again Mrs. Tresevant laughed and inquired if that were one of his recommendations. Dell ignored this remark and continued her explanation to Mr. Sales. There was trouble among some of the operatives, a quarrel ending in blows. It commenced in liquor drinking at a supper given to some of the men by the chief owner of the mill and Mr. Forbes, being called on to give his statement of the trouble, ventured his opinion that it was the liquor that was so freely distributed among the men that was the main source of the disturbance, whereupon he was discharged on the charge of having been insolent to his employer. That is a very extraordinary statement, Miss Bronson, Mr. Tresevant said with arching eyebrows. May I be allowed to ask if the person in question was your informant? No, sir, he was not. There was a good deal of the old, well-remembered flash to Dell's eyes as she said this. My informant was Mr. Nelson, who was present at the investigation. And this Mr. Nelson is reliable, you think? This question Mr. Sales asked, notebook in hand, whereupon he had been jotting down items from time to time. Mr. Nelson was the former superintendent of the works, a very earnest Christian man, who is deeply interested in this young man and esteems him highly. The dinner-bell pealed through the house. Mr. Sales arose, closed his notebook, consulted his watch, and turned toward his wife. My dear, can you excuse me from dinner? Dinners are very important, I know, but this mill business is really more so. Father is considerably disturbed about it, but I want to telegraph to this young man at once, and have a reply, if possible, before the mail closes. Miss Dell, you may be certain I will secure him if I can. A young man who is a sufferer for conscience' sake on the liquor question will be a positive refreshment in the Newton Mills. Dell took out her letter when she went to her room after dinner and glanced again over one paragraph. Our friend Forbes is in deep trouble, and then followed a recital of what Dell has already made known to you. So he is entirely out of employment, thus the letter ran. It is especially hard at this season of the year when work is difficult to get. He has tried in various directions with no success. He feels it keenly, and the rum powers are very merry over him. I wish it were the Lord's will to give him a signal victory just now, both for his sake and theirs. 
Dell laughed gleefully as she refolded her letter. If he should be engaged as foreman of the Newton Mills, large enough to swallow a dozen mills the size of the one at Lewiston, what a signal victory it would be! Then her face darkened a little. How thoroughly determined Mr. Tresevant was that he should not come here, she said thoughtfully. Now why should he care? About that time her old acquaintance, Jim Forbes, sat in much despondency on the side of his bed in his room in the attic. His most earnest efforts to procure employment had hitherto proved total failures. He had come home that day from a visit to the town twenty miles below, come home utterly cast down and disheartened, and he sat now with his chin resting gloomily in both hands, wondering what he should do next. Little Tommy, from the kitchen, unceremoniously opened the attic door and summoned him. Jim! Well? You're wanted. Who wants me? A man at the door. He's got a letter for you, but he won't give it to you till it's paid for. Jim raised himself slowly and wonderingly from his bed. It was a very unusual thing to be wanted by a man at the door, and a most unheard-of thing to have a letter. He doubted the whole story. Nevertheless, it seemed proper to go and see. A telegram, more wonderful still. He never had a telegram in his life. He promptly paid the desired quarter and tore open the envelope. Will you come to Newton first train? Expenses paid. Answer. J. L. Sales, Superintendent, Newton Paper Mills. Wouldn't he? The Newton Mills. How in the world could they have heard of him way off there in that big town, in those big mills? It must be they had worked for him. But how could they know anything about him? This thought first, and then a reverent look in Jim's earnest eyes, and he said, half aloud, God is acquainted with Newton, it's likely. Thus it came to pass that one evening, not long after this, Del Bronson sat in the back parlor talking with an earnest-faced young man, who was dressed in a neat-fitting business suit, and who talked well and earnestly. It is very remarkable what three years of sobriety and industry, and, above all, of prayer, will do for a person. Since, as Jim Forbes quaintly expressed it, Jesus Christ went after him to that distant city and found him, he had been steadily progressing. An aim he had had. The memory of his visit to Boston was still fresh in his mind, when Dell and Dell's uncle treated him like a king, but the young man whom his employer addressed as Carey had made a deep impression. A young man not older than himself, a working man, clerk in that great store, yielding all proper deference to the man who employed him, yet being treated by that same great man with a certain degree of confidence and respect. When Jim Forbes came to himself, he longed inexpressibly to be such an one as that young Carey. Not a clerk in a store, that had no charm for him. There was no neatly fitting bands and screws and complicated machinery, in which his heart took delight, about that. But in his own particular sphere, to move about with the briskness and energy that had characterized young Carey, and some time, when he had earned the right to it, to be treated with that frank kindness and confidence that Mr. Stockwell had shown to his clerk, this was Jim Forbes' goal. A very different master from that of young Carey's had been his, and many and constant had been his drawbacks and disappointments. Yet he had steadily and patiently held on his way, and to-night Dell looked at him with a little feeling of exultation at her heart. He certainly was no rough, but a remarkably well-behaved, properly dressed, respectable-looking young man. His face was just a little troubled. There was evidently something on his mind. At last he put it into words. 
Don't you think, Miss Bronson, that perhaps it would be better for me to go to the Church Street Church? Why? Well, I... I don't know as it's quite a proper thing for me to say, but I think Mr. Tresevant would, maybe, be better pleased. Anyway, Mr. Forbes would like it better, is that so? Jim laughed a little. Well, Miss Bronson, I don't deny that I should be likely to feel just as comfortable, but then... But then you are ready to do just what is nearest right? Yes, I am. The reply was too ready and earnest to admit of a moment's question as to its heartiness. Well, Mr. Forbes, I'll tell you just what I think, and then, of course, you must choose for yourself. If I were you, I would enter with all my heart into the life of the Regent Street Church. Mr. Sales, you know, loves that church, and will like to have you in it. And there are some more grand men in it, who will welcome and help you. Then a good many of the mill hands go there, and you want to have a strong influence over them, and coming in contact with them as you do, you can, through them, help Mr. Tresevant in his work. But Miss Bronson, Jim said doubtfully, I can't help but having a kind of feeling that Mr. Tresevant don't want to be helped by me in any way, don't want to have anything to do with me one way or another. If Dell could only have promptly and truthfully negatived that as a false and unworthy feeling. As it was, she realized a cause for its existence, but she answered him quickly. You and I have no right to judge Mr. Tresevant, you know, but what if the master wants you to work for him in the Regent Street Church? Then I want to do it, said Jim quickly and solemnly. So these three, so utterly unlike in their work, Mrs. Sales, Del Bronson, and Jim Forbes, set themselves about the work of helping the Regent Street pastor with all their hearts, he, meanwhile, knowing nothing about it. End of chapter 7 Recording by Tricia G.